All right, if you will, please open your Bibles to the book of Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 31. You want to put a marker there. Obviously, Proverbs 31 is the traditional Mother's Day passage because it does contain so much information regarding a mom and a wife and her impact in the community. But what I want you to do is put a marker there in Proverbs 31 and turn to Titus chapter 2. And in Titus chapter 2 is a very well-known text of Scripture for the New Testament church regarding how older women are to act, and it directly impacts marriages, and it directly impacts moms. In Titus chapter 2, New Testament book, sort of towards the end of your Bibles, verse 3 says, Older women likewise are to be reverent in their behavior, not malicious gossips, not, nor enslaved to much wine, teaching what is good. So in essence, sort of have a high character. And then verse 4 says, So that they may encourage the young women to love their husbands and to love their children. And then it goes on to be says, to be sensible, pure, workers at home, kind, being subject to their own husbands, so that the word of God will not be dishonored. At the heart of verse 4, the heart of this instruction is that they're to love their husbands and they're to love their children. And it's a learned behavior. It's so fascinating that, you know, when we look at people as they're dating and they're, they fall in love, there's this sense like, it's going to be natural. Everything's going to be natural. I'm just going to fall in love and everything's going to be easy for me to do. But the reality of it is, so much of what we emotionally look at and we emotionally call love really isn't the view that God has regarding love. It's more of the love of action, the love of sacrifice. Now, fascinating, the word here for love is a compound word for love. Typically, when we think of the word love, we think of agape love, a love of action, a love of choice. But this isn't agape love. It's phileo love, and it's the word phileo, which sort of serves as the first part, Phileo for the man and phileo for the children. And it, without doing too much of a word study, I just want you to understand that sometimes the word in Greek, phileo, which talks about a family love, can also be sometimes substituted for agape love. They cross over. But there is still a difference. And what is the difference is that a family love conveys a little bit more of the warmth, a more of the sentiment. And I find it fascinating. Look at verse 4 when it says, you know, love their husbands, love their children. I think it's fascinating as we talk, when Lou gives his testimony and we think about moms, how much is driven by the action resulting in sentiment in us, right? We look back and, you know, by and large, the sense that we have for our moms is that there's a warmth for them. And I think it's not by accident. It's, it is what God wanted there to be in the marriage and to be in the parenting. So turn back to Proverbs 31 with that in mind and the idea that, that we are looking at moms today and the reality of someone that is very, very, very dear to us and very much someone that we're very sentimentally drawn to. Now, Mother's Day has been celebrated in our country since 1914 by an order of Congress, and then President Wilson signed it. But as we know, God has always said, it's in the fifth commandment, 
honor your mother and your father, right? And so today, we're doing something that, that really should be done all the time. Very thankful that our culture recognizes this day. It's not mandated that we don't do it, uh, re- that we recognize it, but the reality of it is we want to do it. We want to recognize our moms. And um, as we come to Proverbs chapter 31, we come to a long chapter, and a chapter that is often criticized in today's culture many times even people like i think as unbelievers creep into the church we don't want to we don't want to put this pressure on women we don't want to make them have to be proverbs 31 women but the reality of it is is this chapter shines in the bible for the quality of what a godly wife a godly mother is to be and we'll see that again i don't mind how many times we go back into it a lot of times when people look at proverbs 31 they really focus on verse 10 to the end and 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 right chapter 31 verse 10 to the end has a lot of information but i always like to do the whole chapter but it is interesting verse 10 to verse 31 is in an acrostic and what do i mean by that is there's 22 uh there's only consonants really in the hebrew alphabet and 10 through 31 if you could read this in hebrew it was structured by that acrostic and why would they do that well it would help you memorize it it would help you be able to just see maybe the beauty that he was trying to bring into the literature i find it fascinating that god put that in there and remember it's psalm 119 that was done in an acrostic format as well so just keep that in the back of your mind so as we go through this text and let me just read we'll pick up reading the first nine verses I believe Solomon is saying this, 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 or is writing this, and I believe he is King Lemuel. King Lemuel means like one that's devoted by God. There's no King Lemuel in the history of Israel's um, king, king, kingly line. So the thought was that this was an, uh, an ode or a, a, um, a proverb to him. So it says, the words of King Lemuel... The oracle which his mother taught him. Verse 2. What, O my son, and what, O son of my womb, and what, O son of my vows? Do not give your strength to women or your ways to that which destroys kings. It is not for kings, O Lemuel. It is not for kings to drink wine or for rulers to desire strong drink. For they will drink and forget what is decreed and pervert the rights of all the afflicted. Give strong drink to him who is perishing and wine to him whose life is bitter. Let him drink and forget his poverty and remember his trouble no more. Open your mouth for the mute, for the rights of the unfortunate. Open your mouth, judge righteously, and defend the rights of the afflicted and needy. As we go through this proverb, what you'll see here is advice from the mom to her son, and he's going to talk about what is a, she's going to talk about what is a godly mom, a godly wife. What you're not going to hear is this. You're not going to hear how witty she is, what a great communicator she is, what a great lover she is, how good-looking she is. You're going to see the things that really and ultimately matter. And I know that as our culture gets more and more away from what a godly woman is to be as well as a godly man, this is why our homes are suffering. You've got your sermon notes in front of you. Look at those. Those are in the bulletin. The theme is the description of a godly mother. And I, want, I put it in parentheses, why we love them so much. Because if I would look at the godly moms, they are moms that act just like this. And the actions drive the sentiment. 
So the very first part, this really breaks down into two parts. And the first part is that they build character, character, a summation of actions into their children. And verses 1 to 9 is where the mom is giving advice to her son. And I wrote this. I said, here we see the mom address three subjects that every child will deal with regarding vices, sins. A child that does not get, his instruction, get this instruction will suffer all their life. The emphasis is how she is building character into the child. Sadly, we live in a world that sometimes makes parents feel bad for advising their kids. Overprotective parents are, are called today helicopter parents. And I thought it was interesting. There was a comic even in the, even, there was a comic even in the newspaper this week making fun of parents that are so involved in their children's lives. And it was saying, kid was saying, I don't even have helicopter parents. I've got drone parents. Okay, and I thought it was kind of cute. Um, but the, in the sense where I recognize the idea of parents being involved in their children's lives is poo-pooed and it's disdain. How dare you give me input? How dare you tell me what to do? But the reality of it is, as I wrote these ones down, there's no fill in the blank here. Basically, she's saying, child, do not be sexually immoral. Child, do not desire strong drink. Child, help the afflicted and the needy. What she's saying is, be, with that last one, is don't be materialistic. You know, one of the greatest preachers in Christian history, I think in the last century, was a man named um, G. Campbell Morgan. And he had four sons, and all four of his sons ended up becoming well-known pastors. Not as much and preachers, not as well known as dad, but all were well known. One day a man came to his son Howard and he was going to put him on the spot. And he said, Howard, who's the best preacher in your family? Thinking that he would trap Howard, check Howard's pride, like, oh, it's me. Maybe he would defer to dad. Howard unflinchingly turned to the man and said, my mom. And, and anyone that knows that, that because the mom is with the kids all the time, she's constantly influencing them, constantly talking to them. Yes, preaching to them. There's an old story. I've told it before. I'll tell it again. It's called The Meanest Mom in the World. It's The Meanest Mom in the World. And I pray that every kid listens to this. And every adult can look back, I think, and say, yes, I know this is true. We had the meanest mom in the whole world, the author writes. While other kids are, ate, ate candy for breakfast, we had to have cereal, eggs, and toast. When others had a Pepsi and a Twinkie for lunch, we had to eat sandwiches. And you can guess our mother fixed us a dinner that was different from other kids, too. Mother insisted on knowing where we were at all times. You think we were convicts in a prison. She had to know who our friends were and what we were doing with them. She insisted that if we said we would be gone for an hour, we would be gone for an hour or less. We were ashamed to admit it, but she had the nerve to break the child labor laws by making us work. We had to wash the dishes, make the beds, learn to cook, vacuum the floor, do laundry, and all sorts of cruel jobs. I think she would lie awake at night thinking of more things for us to do. She always insisted on us telling the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. By the time we were teenagers, she could read our minds. Then life was really tough. Mother wouldn't let our friends just honk the horn when, when, they, when they drove up. 
they had to come up to the door so we can meet so she could meet them while everyone else could date when they were 12 or 13 we had to wait until we were 16 because of our mother we wished we missed out on a lot of, a lot of other things kids experienced none of us have ever been caught shoplifting vandalizing others properties or even arrested for any crime it was all her fault we never got drunk took up smoking stayed out all night or a million other things that other kids did sundays were reserved for church and we never missed once now that we've left home we are all god-fearing educated honest adults we are doing our best to be mean parents just like mom was i think that's what's wrong with the world today it just doesn't have enough mean moms amen amen so you look at this, and I wanted to be driven by the word because, with time's sake here, you know, verse 3, do not give your strength to women. It's not just that, it's the idea that you're not getting involved sexually because if you get involved in immoral activities, it brings you down, it destroys you. When verse 5, she says if, if, about... Um, it, it is verse 4, it's not for kings to drink wine or rulers to desire strong drink. Don't become a drunk. Don't become someone that becomes addicted because it takes you down in a path where it ruins your life. Now that I'm older, I, I can look back about people, kids that I knew that were like straight-A students. I was telling Ellie the other day about a friend of mine who was so smart in high school and started drinking, and then he started doing marijuana, and his entire life has been wasted. A godly mother keeps her kids online. And then the idea of recognizing how you handle money. That's part and parcel. You know, we're always on the kids trying to teach them and trying to get them to understand how you use money. I know that times, as Becky will tell the kids and tell them how to spend or where to not spend, it's like, this is our money. But the reality of it is, is you want to be wise, you want to be discerning. And it's hard for moms. I recognize that. Because foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. And as we move to the next part, this is what makes it so hard for mom. So fill in the blank. And the second part here is that you have a character. Um, you have character in yourself. Okay? And what you have here, as we move to verse 10, <laughs> as we move to verse 10, is the second part of the chapter. And we see how Lemuel's mother begins to stress the woman's character. The previous section was a mother's advice to a son. Now she tells the son what a godly wife looks like. But obviously her example in giving advice is what a godly mom does. As we look at this character that a godly wife should have, we know that she is telling her son something that she has because if she doesn't have it, she would be a hypocrite and, and the kid would be saying, look, you're not like this, mom. So here we go. Fill in the blank, first of all, Point 1b, she's a rare find. Verses 10 and 11 to 12. An excellent wife, who can find? For her worth is far above jewels. The heart of her husband trusts in her, and he will have no lack of gain. She does him eat good and not evil all the days of her life. What you have here is someone whose, whose character is, is so exemplary. It's rare. And this is the heart of you know, of the relationship, because I can tell you at the center of every good family is a, a, the good marriage. And the mom, as we often say, is the backbone of the family. And as we live in a day and age when godliness is being 
thrown out the window. Definitely, this is a reason why we're seeing so many problems in the home. Because if we don't have godly moms making that impact upon their children, everyone becomes the same in the sense that all these women don't have godly character. So look at verse 10. An excellent wife, who can find? Her worth is far above jewels. It's so valuable. Because the reality of it is, is if you have a wife that you cannot trust and you cannot put your dependence upon, it is a constant nightmare. I have told this to my children from early age on. You know, it's true for, for Josh, who he marries, and for Ellie, who she marries. And the reality of it is, as you all know, the number one decision you have to make in all your life, the number one decision you make in all your life is, are you going to be a believer in Jesus Christ or not? Have you placed your faith in Christ and are you born again? That is it. But number two, who do you marry? If you decide to get married, if you decide, I don't care, I just want to be married, I'll take anyone, the reality of it is, is you are committing yourself, I believe, to a living hell. The marriage is where the two become one. And there's a reality that this person now becomes at the heart of your life. And the godly mother makes all the difference in the world because she's a godly wife. One of the um, famous pastors like of the 1900s, C.K. Chesterton, said this, Can anyone tell me two things that are more vital to the human race than these? Number one, what man shall marry what woman? And then number two, what shall be the first things taught to their first child? Because it's the mom that's going to have the influence and in what she's going to teach. It makes the foundation for all of life. Okay? Proverbs 10.1 says that a wise son makes a father glad, but a foolish son is a grief to his mother. I think about that all the time. Because the foundation that a, a godly mother will put into her children will help determine whether they are wise or whether they foolish i was talking to a man yesterday and just dealing with a wife that is a bitter mean spirited woman and how she's influencing the children and every day he has lament over it he pains that he puts them in thank god for godly wives thank god for godly mothers because they truly are the rare find and how they bless us second point fill in the blank she has an incredible work ethic and i wish i had time to go through all of this but from verse 13 on, when I talk about ethic, I am talking about practices. This is incredible what this woman was involved in. But you know what? As I look at the godly women in our church and the godly women in our family, this is exactly what they do. Verse 13, she looks for wool and flax and works with her hands in delight. Wool, clothes, fabric for the winter, flax, fabric for the summer okay she works with her hands in delight there's a great joy in the way she works she's not a complainer she's not this constant nag i got all this to do for the kids blah 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 and it's got to be hard because the reality of it is is kids are draining <laughs> aren't they i mean they are draining and they how often do those children over and over say thank you for breakfast thank you for making my bed thank you for you know it isn't that and then and you you clean everything up and then they make another mess and then you teach them hey you don't do this or you don't do that and they go back and they forget the very next afternoon or the very next day she looks for wool and flax she works with her hands in the light verse 14 she is like merchant ship she brings her food from afar 
she puts effort in where she finds her food. Whether, hey, it's like Ultra, Aldi's, or Strack and Ventil's, what You don't get that plug in there. And, you know, you, where she goes and she puts wisdom in it. I mean, I, I talk to the women. I see the women in our church and how they find things, find deals, find the place to find the things that make their home good. And, you know, as we've often said, you know, because she's putting work and time into a meal, I mean, we're living in a day and age when a lot of people, all they know is the five-minute meal. My goodness, I do not know. I know how important it is that it takes two, three hours for a really good meal to be made. She brings her food from afar. Verse 15, she arises while it's still night and gives food to her household and portions to her maidens. She actually had a whole crew there. Yeah, absolutely. But the reality of it is, is you know... She, for this woman and her responsibilities, she, she wasn't someone who was just saying, okay, I've got all these maids, and I'm going to put my feet up. No, she was involved. She was someone who was active in her home. Verse 16, she considers a field and buys it from her earnings. She plants a vineyard. You can count and trust her with money. That's what I, you want them to be able to understand money, whether it's your daughter or whether it's your son. And the godly wife that you can trust, like I was telling you this, this one individual out of, out of state, I was talking to him yesterday, cannot trust what his wife does with the credit cards, what his wife does with any money she gets. And that's heartbreaking. And constantly bringing the family to a point of economic ruin. So here she considers the fields and buys it from her earnings. She plants a vineyard. It's, and here, it's a good reminder, you know, within this realm, she was working with inside the home. There's no rule that a wife, I believe, cannot ever work outside the home. We saw in Titus 2, she's a worker at home. The reality of it is the home needs to be your priority, okay? And if someone is working outside the home, you've got to make the thought, do I have enough time to be able to do all the things I need to do for my home, and my husband, and still be able to do my outside work? I'm not, I, I think that, that um, she was able to balance this, okay? So you look at this, verse 16, she considers a field and buys it. From her earnings, she plants a vineyard. She girds herself with strength and makes her arms strong. She wasn't afraid of hard labor. She wasn't worried that she was always going to break a nail. She's somebody that is gone out and she's worked really hard. Again, there's no talk about how witty she is, how, you know, she's up on the latest fashion, We'll get into fashion in a second, but verse 18, she senses that her gain is good. Her lamp does not go out at night. She's not somebody that is, is waking up in the morning and then partying at night. She's, she is always focused, always prepared, thankful for the godly wife that falls asleep, um, recognizing that you know, she's put in a hard day, and they have put in a hard day. She, verse 19, she stretches out her hands to this half and, and her grasp the spindle. She was involved in getting clothes. At this time, they're making clothes. Yeah, I know today we don't make a clothes per se, but they get involved in that, get involved in, you know, what the kids do. She's not handing the kids off to a nanny. Verse 21, she's not afraid of the snow for her household, for all her house, her household are clothed with scarlet. Scarlet would have been the more expensive fabric. I thought this was fascinating. She would put whatever money was necessary into making sure if this was the more expensive thing, that her kids were properly dressed for winter. And I've often thought about this, you know, how, you know, 
all of a sudden a new storm hits in October, November, and the kids, you know, as kids grow, that it's time for them to go out and they go out, they're ready to play. And, and lo and behold, they go to the closet and they've got their boots and they've got their snow pants that somebody has thought through through the summer to make sure that they have. That's the concept here. She's not afraid of the snow for her household, for all her household are clothed with scarlet. Verse 22, she makes coverings for herself. Her clothing is fine linen and purple. Purple was the expensive fabric. Here, it's a reminder that she didn't just present herself any old way. She cared to present herself. So often we have some misperceptions that a godly woman is a dour-looking woman. That's not true at all. Verse 23, her husband is known in the gates when he sits among the elders of the land. She makes linen garments and sells them, again, and supplies belts to the tradesmen. She allows her husband to be the man that he needs to be in the community, and she is somebody that is industrious. And, and so you, you put all that together, and, and it's an incredible work ethic. One author wrote this, the most creative job in the entire world involves fashion, decorating, recreation, education, transportation, psychology, romance, cuisine, literature, art, economics, government, pediatrics, geriatrics, entertainment, maintenance, purchasing, law, religion, energy, and management. Anyone who can handle all these jobs has to be somebody special. She is. She's a homemaker. She's a mom. Amen? Amen. Number 3B, fill in the blank. She has excellent character. And obviously character is all of this. She's driving all of this. Verses 25 to 27. Strength and dignity are her clothing, and she smiles at the future. She opens her mouth in wisdom, and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. She looks well to the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Godliness, she's on the go. She's not, she's not a backbiter. She's not somebody who's a gossip. She's not mean-spirited. I mean, I can't tell you like how many times... Our kids are, 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 have opportunities to go to mom and get advice from mom. And if mom was somebody that was somebody that was unkind and ungracious, that would be rooted in the children. Moms have to have that wisdom because I know it's hard for moms. So strength and dignity are clothing. She smiles at the future. She opens her mouth in wisdom. That means she knows the Bible. She's taking time to read the Bible. I pray that my kids will often see that when they wake up, often their mother's already spent half an hour, hour in prayer, reading the Bible, that, that, that they understand that the wisdom that you get isn't because mom is just smarter than anyone else. It's because the Bible is what gives wisdom. And so I thank God for you godly women that will continually just be in the word because when you open your mouth, your wisdom is coming from God's word. So she has excellent character. Mothers need character for so many reasons because children do push them. And, and some children are going to be harder than others. And I, by God's grace, sometimes, you know, you, you know it's like um, my, one of my best friends, he had two boys. And the boys were boys. They're the ones climbing on trees and, and they were, they were um, you know, getting the sticks and the stones. And it was everything that little boys do. Well, his brother had a, had a little girl, and, and the little girl, I mean, she, she was like our Ellie. My goodness, we took Ellie out, we took Ellie out to um, dinner when we were two, and Ellie just was like so prim and proper. Then we get Joshua, and he's underneath the table, literally underneath the table at age two. 
But my best friend, it was the hardest thing to do was, was the reality of dealing as his own, his own mom was, an, was an, a believer and was constantly like, how, why can't you be like your brother? Why can't you be like your brother and raise your little daughter and have her little so prim and proper? And the reality of it is, is because he got boys and they were different. And it's trying and it's hard on a mom. And, and these things, they come and they go. And with, you know, maybe boys are harder when they're younger and girls are harder when they're older. I don't know. Just watching that all play out. But a mom needs this character. She needs this excellent character. Well, quickly, verse 28. um, uh, Her children rise up and bless her. Her husband also, and he praises her, saying, many daughters have done nobly, but you excel them all. Fill in the blank with the fact that she has a family that praises her. And this is something I want you all to think about. This is something I, in the sense you look at this, her children rise up and bless her, her husband. They know her. They recognize the fact that she is someone that has sacrificed for them and worked hard for them. And you know, when someone tells me, I've got the best mom in the world, or I've got the best wife in the world, I can tell you right now, I don't need to say, no, 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 you have to understand about my, my mom or my wife or whatever. The reality of it is, as a pastor, my joy goes up because if you feel like you've got the greatest mom, praise God, because that's exactly what God wanted. He wants, you know, this isn't like a contest, who is ultimately the number one mom? This is for every family to feel like we know we're loved and we know we're cared for. And that's what I hope every family will say to their mom. They'll say to the mother of of the children and say, look, man, we are just so thankful that you're in our home. We love you so much for all that you do for us. Fill in the next blank. She knows the priority of godliness. Verse 30. Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. The reality of it is, is this is a woman that, that she knows that idea of godliness and service, and, and she, she is somebody that isn't caught up with the Kardashians. I mean... She isn't somebody, and I'll, I'll be more blunt, she isn't somebody that's spending five to ten hours a night on Facebook. She isn't somebody that, she is recognizing the reality of character, because character is what matters. It's like I tell, again, going back to the idea, you marry someone, you marry a guy, you marry a girl that isn't godly, it's going to make your life miserable. And I tell you right now, if you've been causing your spouse to have a life miserable, today <laughs> repent. <laughs> because the reality of it is, is when both husband and wife are living for God. The, the, the design that God wanted for the family and wanted for the children is absolutely wonderful. It's incredible. And this is like what I, 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 you know, as I beg my daughter and I beg my children to understand, my son, to understand that when they're in this process of making a, a, a life decision about who they're going to marry, I want them to be able to say, hey, you want to have a marriage like your mother and I. We may not be perfect, we may not be right, but I can tell you, unless you find someone that's living for God and works through problems, because all marriages have problems, but the difference between a good marriage and a bad marriage is that good marriages solve problems biblically. So today, if you're feeling like, wow, we've got this problem, we've got that problem, we're all filled with problems. Every marriage has problems. But if you have a godly wife and well, a godly husband, we're talking about moms, look at verse 30. Charm is deceitful, beauty is a vain, vain, but a woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. Th- this is what drives her. Ultimately, it's not that she's read 30 best ways on how to be a godly mom. What's driving her through everything is that she fears God. She knows God. 
Lastly, fill in the blank. She has a great reputation. Give her the product of her hands and let her works praise her in the gates because, because she is well-known. And the word gets out as to what kind of woman she is. You think this is impossible, but I don't. I, I look at this and I know as I've lived it, this is just absolutely a blessing to have these, this type of woman in your life and this is absolutely a blessing to have this type of woman in your church because these are the women that make a difference. And there's a great article. It's an old article. Um, it's brief. It basically goes, um, there was an author, a famous biographer, and I got it right here. Um, Ida M. Tarbo was her 80th birthday. She was a famous biographer, and she was asked, you know, like of all the biographies and all the people you've interviewed and all the people you've ever wrote about, what are, who are the greatest people, if you had to list them, who are the greatest people that you would put, like, one through ten? And she said, as it was an article to the New York Times, oh, it was the, not the top ten, it was the top twelve. And she said the 12 greatest people in the world are 12 women that you have never heard of that have never been heard of outside of their own home. And I truly believe that. And she says this. She goes, I ask you, who was greater? Thomas A. Edison, the famous inventor, or his mother? She said when he was a young lad, his teacher sent him home with a note saying, your child is dumb. We can't do anything for him. And that's true. Mrs. Edison wrote back, you don't understand my boy. I will teach him myself. And the results are well known. Edison gets the glory, but we know the mom made the difference. Today I'm telling you, look at this character. This is the character that you need to have as moms. This is what we are so thankful for. She is a rare find. She's an incredible work ethic. She has excellent character. She has a family that praises her because they see it. She's not a hypocrite. She knows the priority of godliness. She has a great reputation. This is what drives her. This is, this is the moms we love to honor. But even if the mom doesn't rise up to the standard, we're going to love you because this is what we're supposed to do. I mean, to honor our moms. But man, the mom who lives like this, it's sacrificial love. And today I hope you all tell your moms that you love them. I hope you would all tell them how much they mean to you and that you see it and you know it if, to the extent that you can. I'll leave you with this last story. It's uh, one that's really touched me. This man, and you have to figure out how this happened. It was, say, it's Mother's Day. And a man is at a florist, and he is about to send his mother, who lives the city away, it might have been like 50, 75 miles away, flowers. Very busy man. And all of a sudden, he sees in the store, there's a little girl, she's crying. And he turns to her and says, what's wrong? And she goes, well, I just wanted to buy my mother a flower for Mother's Day. And she tells him that the flowers were $2 and she only had 50 cents. And so he gets his flower, sends it off. You know, Floris is going to send it to the next town. And he hands her $2 and says, here, here's the $2 for your flower, little girl. The little girl gets her flower and then she kind of looks pensive, and he says, what's wrong? She goes, well, I need a ride. And she goes, which way are you going? She tells him, and he goes, well, I'm going that way back as I'm going back home. And, and as they're going home, she says, stop here. And he goes, stop here? Why are we stopping here? She goes, well, this is where my mother is. And she, he stops the car. He gets out. 
goes with the little girl, and he watches as the little girl puts the rose on her mother's gravestone. And at that point, he recognized how important it is that mothers, their lives are so fleeting, how important it was to be there with his mom. He goes back to the floors, gets his flowers, asks them if he can get flowers there, and he drives the 75 miles to be with them, with, be with his mom. I know that you, sometimes you can't be there with your mother. Sometimes they're across the country, etc., etc. Today we have phones. Make sure you at least call and tell your mother you love them. Moms, today, I thank you for being godly and caring so much for God because it impacts not only this generation, but you can have a Lou Clark whose mom, Lou, when was your mother born? 1885 or 18? 1905. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that your word carries so much about moms and families. And that moms and families don't happen by accident. That there's, a, there's a rhyme and there's a reason. There's a pattern that you have followed. And I ask you, God, that you continue to bless the moms of our church. And I know that today could be a hard day for some moms. Because the reality of it is, is there, there are some moms that their heart aches over the lives that their children have lived. And to the extent that they cared and they worked hard, the reality of it is, is the proverb says, each one is responsible. If, you, if you're wise, you're wise for yourself. If you scoff, you alone will bear it. Oh God, I pray for those moms in their hearts today. I pray that they would not lose hope as long as their children are alive, that one day soon their children would repent. And then I also know, God, on Mother's Day it's hard because some people in this congregation have had moms that have abandoned them. Moms that have, moms that have been hard or mean and really their meanness is a true meanness and not like the story that I told. I pray, God, that, there, that you would give the child that went through that hardship grace to still have a love for their mom and still ability to honor that mom. And then, Lord, one that we don't often pray for is that one, the moms that are dealing with children that have died through accidents, through suicides, the hardships that they're facing today. I pray, God, again, for grace that surpasses all comprehension and all understanding. Talking to a family yesterday that deals with this and the hardship that they deal with and the pain, and the mom is just going to want to stay in bed all day. I thank you, Lord, that you give our moms, moms that are believers, a hope and a strength to deal through the hardships of life. So bless this day, God as a reminder that what we do one day in a year of, in America really should be done 365 days. May we truly honor moms. In Christ's name, amen.